everybody, welcome to another episode of Coffee and Clarks. I'm your co-host, Javian. And I'm your other co-host, Tyler. And we have a very, very special guest with us today. Um, he's a, a good friend of mine. I've got an opportunity to play with him on a few separate occasions, and he's always a great hang and, and a great uh, person to talk about coffee, which is what we're going to talk about a little later today. Um, so as you can tell, we have Dr. Courtney Jones with us today. And Dr. Courtney Jones, he currently serves as assistant professor at Florida Atlantic University and uh, artistic director of the FAU Jazz Ensemble. Uh, he's a UCLA uh, graduate. Um, he has a solo CD project called Between Two Worlds, and he's played all across the country um, in various groups, such as the Gateways Collective, which is a all-Black brass quintet, the Gateways Music Festival, uh, which I've gotten an opportunity to play with him in, and, and the list goes on and on and on. Um, so I want to personally thank uh, Dr. Courtney Jones for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. So we have a lot of things to talk about today, um, about your career, about your, your teaching approaches. But before we get into that, we got to know, and I can already know a little bit about this. Tell us about, do you, are you a coffee drinker? Do you drink coffee? What's your preference? Am I a coffee drinker? Well, since this is, you know, talking about music and coffee, I think we should, uh, well, not we, I'm just going to show you. <laughs> you guys mind coming with me? Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, go. Take us on the journey. Great. Uh, I got a whole setup here. Well, here's my thing, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who are here, I enjoy coffee. Okay? I'm half Cuban, and I drink, I've been drinking coffee ever since I was little. Right? My grandma used to give me coffee and all that other stuff, right? Maybe one of the reasons why I'm OCD right now, but you just say it's, it's longevity and all that other stuff. So anyway, I love coffee, okay? And when you talk about coffee, there's only one choice of coffee that I enjoy. And that choice, my friends, is Cafe Bustelo, okay? Mm. Oh, okay. I love Cafe Bustelo. I, you know, I, I like the whole beans and grind it myself, um, but I enjoy that mainly because I love the taste. And let me show you how I make my coffee. Okay. So I have my belonging espresso machine. Take two scoops, pat it down. Well, actually, one and a half. Pat it down. Then put my coffee back in the refrigerator because I'm just weird like that. Okay. Then and take it two times, three times the latest, right? And then uh, I go ahead and place it into my machine. Now, before I begin, I like to come up normally if I've had coffee, which I've had before, I like to make sure that I decaminate my coffee by a little bit of steam. Mainly because I like to make sure my coffee tastes the same, as fresh as it can be. And normally you're probably wondering, well, don't you like a frothing thing? Don't you normally do that with milk? Well, I'm lactose intolerant and I don't, okay? 
And plus, I realized that, well, it cleans it out, and the coffee cup is really, really good. Well, my espresso is good. But in this case, since I'm really not playing, I'm actually going to make a cafe cubano, okay? Con azúcar. For those of you who are non-Spanish speakers, azúcar, sugar. Con with. Con azúcar. Cafe cubano, okay? Cuban coffee, all right? Then, I normally, well, sometimes you'll put the sugar inside of the thing. I'm not going to do that. That's how you mess up your machines. So, I take a little bit of sugar from the secret sugar stash, <laughs> okay? The secret sugar stash. Nope, that's not good sugar. Let me get this other sugar. Secret sugar stash. Yeah, okay, that's good enough. Okay. Okay. Secret sugar stash. And then, before we do this, place it inside. Okay. Okay. I don't like it too, too sweet, but I want it just a little bit of sweetness because I don't really do sugar except for once a week. And because this is such a special day, <laughs> for you guys. Hey, we, are, we appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> you go in, turn it on, and voila. And at this moment, as my coffee is being produced in espresso, I think about all the mistakes I've done in my life and why coffee helps rectify each one of those mistakes. Hey. Wow. How long is your pour? Uh, well, I know I'm going to be up until about 10 o'clock tonight. So I make sure I do about two and a half, hmm. half three and a half for um, this espresso. And you let it drip just a little bit because you got to have the agua. Again, agua means water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just a little bit. I don't, and I take a wooden coffee stirrer. And I don't take the neck, I don't take a plastic coffee stirrer. I normally use these for my students when we're talking about breathing and blowing through. Um, and plus, it's already hot liquid. I don't want to decontaminate that um, with the plastic stirrer. Mm. Then, Take it out, do a little like this, just enough. Happy birthday, Mary had a little lamb, mm -hmm. you know, uh, whatever you want to do, just to get all the sugar dissolved. Then, so when you make, oh, sorry, when you taste the espresso, you can actually enjoy it. And if you notice, well, I, you really can't see it, but you might be able to without spilling it, a little bit of that froth of it. Yeah. And this is what I really enjoy about the coffee because it's not just shooting the espresso, but it's making sure that you can taste exactly what you're, uh, you're making. And that is definitely hot. <laughs> well, this is certainly a first on the show. We actually get to see the coffee making process. So Absolutely. that's pretty cool. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Dr. Jones's coffee making process. There it is. There it is. Awesome. Yeah. What so Tyler, what are you drinking today? <laughs> uh so not espresso, actually. I did a Chemex right before we got on. A new bag of beans from Swings, which is a place that 
has multiple areas in like the DC area. Uh, this one's from Guatemala. It's not too bad. I'm, I always kind of, my go-to is like the light to medium roast. Um, this one's from a single origin. So it's, it's, it's not too bad. Um, yeah, I like it. Usually I just do like one to like maybe two cups a day. I try not to push it to any more than that. <laughs> just I, I hit like, I'll hit a crash. Right. So, um, yeah, I try to instead drink more water. Yeah. Or, like go outside, sunlight, things of that nature. But yeah, that's, that's what I'm onto right now. So it's, it's working. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, I'm, I too, uh, have been doing a little more espresso lately. I just got an espresso machine from my office. You can probably see it over here, right here. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I use it to, for my, basically that after lunch lull that you kind of hit, um, once the food gets up in you, as they call it, the itis. Uh, so, <laughs> so I've been starting to do a little bit of espresso in the afternoon to get me through the rest of the day. Um, and I've been, um, what I did early before we started today, um, I was in Birmingham a few weeks ago. And I always, anytime I go to a new city, I always try to find the local beans. So I found this little co uh, local coffee shop called June Coffee. And they roast their own. And it's right here. Um, and this is their um, El Salvador single origin. And this is like, I brought two bags. This one's for my espresso. And I brought another one that I do at home for my, my pour over. Um, so this has been probably one of my favorite bags of coffees ever. Wow. Uh, which is obviously high praise, but it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, and it could be the espresso machine too, but even when I, even when I do the pour over at home, it's like, okay, this is really good. Wait a minute. Hold on. You do pour overs? I know, Corden, we've had this whole debate. You're a French press guy. Asuda! <laughs> yeah. So, Asuda. so my first conversation with Dr. Jones about coffee, I remember it very vividly and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I do pour. He said, you do pour overs. You got to do the French press. And we went to the Ethiopian restaurant and I guess that was at Rochester, somewhere in Rochester to get uh, some coffee there. That was a good time. <laughs> that was a very good time. That was a great time. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very good time. So uh, now that we've talked about, you know, our coffee choices, we have a few questions for you about Trumpet and your career. Um, so obviously you're a well-established um uh, trumpet professor, um, doing a lot of wonderful things. Um, I was curious, um, how did you get started in music? And, you know, when did you know this was something you want to pursue? Right. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I was surrounded by music my entire life. You know, my, uh, my parents bought a piano for my brothers and sisters. And, um, and they took lessons and whatnot. And it just sat in the house mm -hmm. until I was born. And then I, you know, started banging on the piano and then started realizing, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. And you know, those old piano books where they had the, the fingerings and the hands and where the thumb goes and all that other stuff. So I took that and I actually taught myself how to play. Mm -hmm. And then I began uh, learning by rote, uh, you know, um, listening to what was on the radio. My first song that I remember uh, learning was the Sesame Street, Sesame Street song, which is a major third. Ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum. You know, try it to try it and so it was really simple and then i was like oh, okay this is how it works and i kind of played the simple medleys and whatnot 
Um, and uh, all through, you know, elementary and, you know, you really don't really start looking at instruments until what, sixth grade or something. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm going to go play violin. Hmm. And then instead of playing the violin, when we show up to the music shop, you want to call it divine intervention or just, <laughs> you, know, the, you know, a sixth grader who sees something shiny. It's like, I want to play that instrument. As we walked in, in the middle of the room where the sun hit was this trumpet. And it was a blessing trumpet out of all trumpets. I was like, did you not? And I was like, well, I want to play this horn now because it's shiny. And I was like, well, you know, we have the violin. My mom was like, look, the boy wants to play whatever this thing called, let him play it. So that's how I played the uh, trumpet. So piano was my primary instrument. And then uh, trumpet uh, became my primary, then secondary. It's now piano. It's now my secondary instrument. But I still play. I play the Bach uh, Prelude every morning. Either mm. if, I, if I'm in my office or even in my my place, just to get there's something very spiritual for me about beginning the day with with sound, but beautiful sound and calming sound. And Bach is someone that, uh, and also uh, Philip Glass. We can talk about that later. But uh, Bach and how he produces uh, just the arpeggiation of chordal sequences is really beautiful for me. And so I start my day every day uh, with that before I pick up the trumpet. Hmm. That's how I kind of got into it. Okay. Nice. And then at, at what point did you, you know, start getting serious about it? Or, or was it always kind of a thing that you were super passionate about? I mean, um, you know, when did you say like, hey, I want to like continue this. I want to see how far I can take this. Right. You know, I, I never really got serious until maybe college, right? Because, you know, you go into the all states, well, all districts, all counties, then all states. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, everybody should be able to do this, right? Not really thinking on me that as you get older, you realize that, you know, you're far and few between, right? Um, but it wasn't until college. Right. When, you know, because my minor is in business marketing management, where my teacher uh, really sat me down and says, all right, well, what do you really want to do? I mean, you be able to do this. You know, you can do this for a career, but like career, career, you know, because I wanted to be, you know, high school band director, which I was. And then um, but then I was like, well, let me see how far we can go. And then you get bit by, you know, the serious bug of performance, you know, especially with NTC um you know and local rotary competitions and things of that nature where you win it's just like oh what else can you do right and then when you realize that instead of working you know part-time job you know at a retail store nothing wrong with that or you know food industry that you what you make on a sunday you get you know what you make that one sunday is a month's paycheck right mm -hmm. and you're playing your instrument and then you begin the seriousness about what is it that you really want to do you know, mm. and so that's when I became serious when I was like, all right, I can do what? <laughs> Just play half notes and whole notes and transpose and make what? Sign <laughs> <me up. laughs> nice. So you kind of touched on a little bit, but who are some of your life and or musical mentors um, growing up? And, I, and we say life, too, because obviously there are people that can impact you who may not have any knowledge of music. Um, so we always like to throw that in there. But who are some of those people that have impacted your life? Well, my first, I mean, you, I, I believe that so many people have many mentors, whether they are direct or indirect, right? And the first person that really got me like focused was my second grade teacher. Her name was um, Marguerite Bussey. I say was because she passed a couple years ago. 
and um coming from new york down to georgia you know you know i was i was just very rambunctious you know a lot of people in the south will go to more laid back we're in new york this is what it is you know what i mean and this teacher calmed me down she was very loving she was she was a phenomenal educator and she was a singer mm -hmm. and the first thing that i heard her saying was a teacher talent show this is when teachers used to do talent shows right uh for their kids and she sang my funny valentine mm -hmm. and once she sang that i was in love i was just in love with this woman and so she was mainly my first one uh later on when i got into playing my sixth grade teacher gavin anderson uh he comes from a, a family like musical royalty and where i was in uh georgia and his dad larue was famous clarinet player who taught all, everybody really and he was a product of his father and he taught me um how to like love the instrument right i actually switched to trombone because of him he's a trombone player and um then i switched back to trumpet but he was very calm very kind right Fast forward, my eighth grade teacher, uh, Robert Lee, um, trumpet player, and he really got me into transcribing because when he when, when, he, when he sat down and he was like, oh, how does that, I was like, remember that song back in the uh, the 90s, My Boo? <laughs> and uh, yeah. he was like, well, what song you guys like? He was like, oh, let me, let me, how's it go? Dun, dun, but dun, dun. And he wrote it out and then I like just played it on the piano and I'm like, Show me how to do this. So he also taught me how to like listen intently, actively listen, right? Not knowing that I was actively listening, but how to sit down and write and transcribe. Then going into my high school, we had Mark Rupelt, who was my first trumpet teacher who gave me lessons, mm -hmm. um, you know, who was no longer living. He was a part of the Air Force band, tall behemoth of a guy. And he was really, really cool, um, but very direct and military because you know i come from military families so he knew exactly how to get to these points and it's like look this is what i need you to do x y and z bam no bs this is what it was and then my high school teacher laura fry who is now laura estes this short woman playing saxophone just very beautiful very calm just oh just yeah welcome everybody bubble boom you know as soon as she sat on that podium it was like general grievous like <laughs> what it is and this woman would she showcased passion right she showcased you know how to be excellent at your craft right while working collectively together you know um and i and i'm really thankful for her, for her because we still keep in contact you know um and then when you get to college you know you have your obviously applied teachers you know we had you know one of my ensemble directors robert romolo who in my opinion you know is the salt of the earth when it comes to conducting and he taught us how to be early, you're on time, you're on time, you're late, you're late, you failed, you know, or you missed your opportunity. And he taught us how to come prepared to rehearsals, right? So you're not coming to rehearsal to, you know, look over your parts, but you're coming to rehearsal to make music and to do it from a place of love and empathy and at the highest level. Um, and also he was a trumpet player who also played jazz. You know, and already through uh, already composed, written, authored, and all that stuff. But he just showcased a level of empathy, of love that we saw. And under that same breath, there was uh, Lisa Oberlander, clarinet teacher, who I had no—I mean, we had interactions, but watching her perform in front of her students, I was like, 
I need to, I need to feel this. I need, I need you to teach me how to this. And she was like all serious to this day. She still is. And I still respect her. My stage presence, you know, um, started with her mm-hmm. because she taught me that I remember I was playing Fly the Bumblebee because I heard her play it and I was like, I gotta learn this piece. It's so cool. I remember she walked past my, my practicing one time. She said, why are you learning this piece? You know? <laughs> and I was like, because it's cool. She's like, yeah, but why are you learning this piece? Yes, it's cool. But what's the reason? Right. So understanding that you learn a piece to rectify something within your playing, you know, whether a technique or of some sort. So just being more serious about the repertoire that you choose and not just because you're doing it, but because you're trying to obtain a certain skill set that is not as strong as it needs to be, given the repertoire that you choose to have. Right. Um, And then you fast forward to other people, you know, throughout life. So. Those are some of the people, you know, I mean, obviously I can go through all my teachers and whatnot, but, but those are the ones that kind of set a precedent that prepared me to study with the teachers that I had at my, at the, at my conservatory. And then obviously at uh, UCLA for my doctorate and knowing how to interact with people and see them from one, who they are and meet them where they are so that you can provide something to the collective from a symbiotic point of view. So those are the teachers that really set the foundation that I interact with on a daily basis. And I also have my mentors, you know, that I've t- took lessons with and whatnot um, that I, well, you know, that we weren't every day, we weren't working together every day, but every so often when we get together, especially in Los Angeles, you know, um, all right, cool, this is what we do and this is how we interact. So yeah, those are the people that kind of, whether they're directly or indirectly taught you these life learning skills that you could apply later on. Yeah, that's what I kind of picked up from what you're describing is the the character of these people, you know, and then how they made you feel. And then you took that and you, you what you said about rep as well, like just being intentional with it. Like I never heard it kind of put that way before. And it's like it has such a deeper meaning. Um, and that's really cool. Like these lessons aren't just like, oh, yeah, they're great players, but it's like they're great players and great human beings. And I can take this and 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 use it and project this out to everybody that I come in contact with. So that's, that's really special. Sounds like you've had a lot of great influences growing up. I did. I'm very, I'm very grateful for that because the caveat is if we don't approach it from that level of empathy, then it just goes in one ear, not the other. You look at it passively, right? Yeah. You know, and cause we are creating better human beings given the repertoire that we have, right? We are musicians that create music for people who come listen to us who may be dealing with whatever they're dealing with. So for that one moment, Ixion's wheel stops turning, right? So then you've done what you needed to do as a healer. So you didn't think about their job. They didn't think about their significant other or kids or whatever issue they may be dealing with, but more so of, wow, that was such a beautiful chord or wow, that was a wonderful medley or wow i'm just very thankful to be in the presence of this right because if you look at you know that then you become a better human being but also just to piggyback you know looking at rep to build something well like why were the the charlie a2s written he wrote them for his students mm-hmm. to obtain certain technical facility right mm-hmm. so it's the same process i believe yeah that's awesome that is awesome thank you for that yeah man. Um, so as a trumpet professor now at uh, Florida Atlantic, um, what are some uh, pedagogical like philosophies you emphasize as a teacher to your students and as well as like the kind of culture you have built at FAU? 
right? Um, for me, the first thing that I tell my students is that I give them two things. One, the tools that they need to succeed and two, to find successful employment, whether it is performance, education, or, um, or even within the BA aspect, because music, BA, performance, education, excuse me, and no commercial music. So I'll give you the tools. Now you have to use them so that you can find successful employment. You know, and that's the first thing. Now said tools would be one that I am a firm believer in, because I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. I don't care. <laughs> I'll pass. Sorry. Can you believe that? Out? Or keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. Um, I don't care how fast or how high or how you know loud or soft you play. If your sound is trash, basura, means nothing. Nobody wants to play next to you. Nobody wants to hear that. So your sound will define you as a musician, but most importantly, a trumpet player, right? So we base everything off the basic fundamentals. Let's develop your sound. Well, you're probably like, well, well I don't know what I sound like. I'm glad you asked that question. Because also in my um, syllabus, I have a, a, a series of players from classical to commercial to jazz to contemporary classical, which is my area of expertise, to experimental, to all this other stuff. And then you find the people, but you got to do the research, right? You just can't do it by osmosis. Like, oh, I know what that person sounds like. Not yet. You got to put in that name. You got to see, see what repertoire they played. And you finally find, okay, I kind of like this sound. Okay, cool. Let's develop this, right? Let's see how to make this sound happen. Because most players are often imitated, but never duplicated, right? Because you have to find your own voice because your sound will define you. Right. And if it's a great sound, they can say, oh, we know exactly who that is in the hallway, because I know exactly all of my students current past as well and what they sound like, because I'm listening to them daily. Right. Oh, they see me three times a week. Right. Which I like about where I am at FAU. Um, but uh, but that's what you got to deal with. So you got to deal with one, understanding the tools that I give you, develop your sound so we can build a solid foundation upon foundation. We can build technique and facility and repertoire, right? This is how we base because your undergrad, you're not gonna learn it in a week. You're not gonna learn it in a month, a semester or a year. It's a nine to five for four years. Mm. It's a nine to five, Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekend from nine to five for four years. So that when you go out and you get that piece of paper, what regardless of whatever you, the, the, the area of focus within the discipline of music is, you're ready to go. You're ready to find what successful employment because you've applicated the tools that I've given you. Because everything is conceptual, right? You just can't pick up the horn and do it. You gotta do the work. And then also it's like working out, right? You gotta tear the muscle to build the muscle. And with these basic fundamentals and principles, what it does for the embouchure and the chops is to break it down so you can build upon it, right? Patience is key. And as I'm getting older, I, I mean, I've always, I've, I've always, I may not, not really been impatient, but I've relished more so now into the fact that I don't know shit. Right? <laughs> and then I realized when I finally pick up my horn, I'm like, what, what day you go? 
I've been doing this thing for years. But you sound great. Yeah. But now I sound good. I sound a little bit better. Now I'm more excited to do the same thing over again that I've been doing for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Because there's something special about it. So yeah, so that's where I begin with all of my students and my philosophy. And then ultimately is that we I teach my students conceptually. One, as we you know perceive what we want here, right? We have to intellectually know what we want so that physically we can do the work, but ultimately emotionally, we feel good about it. Right? Mm-hmm. Because this is the power of three, right? Physical, intellectual, emotional variable within itself is one. Three, three is a prime divided by itself is one, which is you, the center, right? And I approach that through everything and what we do three times and then ultimately once, because you only have one time to do your recital or you have one time to do your uh, performance. So we approach this in a way where um, you have a multiple of times, mainly three, and there's a reason for that, um, so that you're able to do it just once. And now you have this pattern that you've built within a routine that allows you to execute something without missing right but it, then there's another principle uh, that's more of a buddhistic ideology i don't really want to get into we could if we want to go there but through my travels it has allowed me to apply what i've learned outside of my backyard into my playing and because of that i feel and this is, and it, it just could be you know snake oil but i feel that i've been more connected to the spiritual side of what we do and what we make uh, music especially when we build a chord you know and then move uh, collectively, again, symbiotic, right? You know, so that we understand that as a collective, we do something better. We do something great, the end goal. So that is what my whole philosophy is. Um, and obviously there's more detail to it because we only have so much time on this, but you know, with my students and my approach so that we build that culture of empathy, right? Mm -hmm. We build that culture of seriousness, but being able to show up to a rehearsal prepared to make music and not rehearse the music, to practice it. Right. So that's my my approach, man. It's simple, you know? And, um, you know, and obviously there are pedagogical things too, but but we start there. Tools, find successful employment, sound, upon set sound, which is our foundation, technical, pedagogical, as well as uh, a repertoire facility so that you can become a better human being given your perspective medium, which is music. Nice. Beautifully <laughs> put. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so now focusing back onto you, I mean, you obviously mentioned before having these skill sets of being an orchestral musician, a classical contemporary classical musician. Um, you also developed and, and played jazz. So can you talk about the importance that you've experienced from I I don't even want to say like just jazz, but like all types of music, right? Like the importance of listening and learning all types of music and what has that informed you and how has that shaped and developed you? Because I feel like, especially in schools, we create these lanes of like, you're this or you're this. And it's like, you know, I have a young son and it's like, I want to expose him to all sorts of music, not just this, you know? And I feel like, um, yeah, by doing that, it's almost, it can limit you. I feel like personally, in my opinion, it, it's very limiting. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that and how that has shaped you as a musician. Listen, man, you hit it on the, on the head, man. You know, again, preparation, crossing paths is opportunity. You know, I was very fortunate to have my, uh, applied teachers 
who had this same approach, right? Because you're never going to teach a student the same way. Right? Mm-hmm. If you do, you might not want to be a, a teacher because you never evolve, right? And with evolution comes, you know, being applicable to what's happening. You know, as we uh, advance as a society, as, as, as music changes, depending on the decade, so does the generation, right? You know, there was a time where you could graduate high school and go into the symphony orchestra, right? Um, you know, there was a time where, you know, you could move to a city where the level of music at that time was this, where if we were to look at it, where we are now, it might not have been there, right? So there have been exceptional players. And so you have to be able to be flexible, right? Um, and again, it, it starts with, you start at the very beginning. You got to know your pedagogy. You got to know your scales. I don't care if you're classical or jazz. You're a musician first mm-hmm. who happens to play the trumpet, okay? Or your chosen instrument is the trumpet. So you got to know the pedagogical approach to the instrument. And my teachers were that. They taught scales. They talked to be, you know, with slurring and flexibility. They talked technical facility, right? Going through the Clark, going through the Arbens, going through the Sloshberg, understanding the IE voicings, right? Understanding what the repertoire is, right? When you play in, in, in a, a collegiate ensemble, right? If it's not a conservatory, even if it is, right? If it's a collegiate ensemble and you have a music education degree and a performance degree, you will also have choir, band, jazz band, and uh, maybe uh, an experimental ensemble of some sort, right? Especially if you're a music ed student. If you're a music ed student, and I mean this, if you're a music ed student and you go through four years without playing, like high school music ed, without playing in a jazz band, I hope you never find a job. I hope you never find a job. And I mean that with every fiber of my being. Because when you go into a high school, you're not just going to teach band. You got a jazz band. And then depending on what happened, you also have, you might have to be the orchestra director. You might have to teach choir, right? So the encompassing four-year, five-year, I think a music ed degree should be five years. Degree, you should be able to be in a one ensemble, a jazz orchestra, a choir, if not the main choir, a university choir, and sit in the orchestra, right? So if you're saying, well, I play strings, but I can't be in, um, I can't be in one ensemble, but you can also be in choir. You can talk to the jazz band director and see, do you guys need strings for anything? Or you can get with a chamber ensemble and put a rhythm section behind that. You got to get your ear outside of this one box and look outside the proverbial box. Because when you do that, you realize that the world is a little bit bigger than your one focus. I have friends of mine or associates, you know, who went to school for one thing and they are not doing that. They're doing everything else but that because they chose not to be exposed to other things. Right. So instead of playing their instrument, making money, keeping the lights on, they are playing their instrument, but they're doing like all other things that have nothing to do with music to find supplemental income. Right. And I think that's a detrimental, especially now, you know, nowadays when you need to be able to be a musician, you play trumpet. I'm going to only speak the trumpet because we're all trumpet players here. You know, you're not just going to play in the orchestra hall. Sometimes trumpets need to be in a pit. Sometimes mm-hmm. trumpets need to be in the back of a concert, uh, not a concert, but a back 
of a, a club hall. Sometimes trumpets need to be in the church area. So that's a mixture of things. Not everything is going to be on one and three. There are, is also <laughs> two and four. Right? But if your sound is basura, it doesn't matter what you do. You ain't getting the gig. So my teachers made us work on the basic fundamentals of being a musician who happens to play the trumpet. Then, depending on if we've proven ourselves, be it it's a, a, a barrier jury or your scale exams or your such and such exams, like, okay, what would you like your focus to be on? I want to go this way. Okay, cool. I want to go this way. Okay, cool. Or I want to do a little bit of this. Okay, cool. Because in my studio, I don't care if you're a commercial music major, performance major, ed major, or BA. You have your barrier. I need all scales as well as your certain uh, repertoire to be learned first before we go in any direction. If you don't have this, I'm sorry. This is not what you want to do. Well, what am I going to do? You wasted two years because you chose not to do this. And I told you exactly what you needed to do, but you didn't do it. So what am I going to do now? My name is Paul and that's between y'all. I don't know. <laughs> because we don't need any more mediocre musicians because mediocrity meets complacency. And now, especially post-COVID, mm. right? especially post-COVID, things are changing. Things have changed. You know, we have our, we know friends of ours in certain orchestras that were, you know, furloughed or, you know, that were disbanded, right? We have musicians, friends of ours, not just playing wise, but like even during COVID, you know, not knowing how to lay over tracks, not knowing how to record themselves or, you know, do that because they didn't realize that I need to do this. Yes, music education, not music this. Education, a four-year degree, five-year degree in education is to be versatile. Knowing what finale is, knowing what Sibelius is, even though I don't like Sibelius, I think it's trash. That's just me. Anyway, <laughs> knowing how to utilize logic and pro tools. Not saying you got to be the next, you know, engineer of the world, but just, hey, I want to record myself for an audition or I want to stack these to, to you know, do it as a duet or a trio or whatever, or I want to utilize video with audio and put something together. Again, thinking outside the proverbial box. You got to be versatile. So for me, and because I'm just OCD, I, under, I just feel that, you know, you got to be able to do a mix. You understand not, you don't have to do everything, but you got to know how to fill a beat on one and three and two and four, right? And then even when you look at the early 20th century, you know, what was happening in the early 20s in, in the continent United States, New York and Washington? The Harlem Renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like this is stuff that was going on. You have scouts sitting, uh, you, you, European classical composers sending scouts to America to see what's America's classical music, right? Stravinsky, Dvorak, New World Symphony, right? Uh, you look at the Ravel's Piano Concerto, you know, that second movement. That's nothing but Gil Evans. Come on now. <laughs> you look at the Rite of Spring. These are dance moves. That's a freaking tango. Right? Versus like that's so rigid. Right? Allow to express yourself through the music. When you understand that, you're not sitting here. There's a groove here, an underlining pulse. And then when you not, when you don't limit yourself to that, the universe will open its doors to you. Like, holy shiitake. I just felt this rhythm. It's a data 816. It's a jota. Mm. Dun, dun, king, dun, 
There's a groove there. Then when you realize that, you might smile a little bit. You might realize, oh, that made me feel what? Good. So when you look at it, you're not necessarily you know, afraid to do it, but then you're looking to experiment on this. So if someone says, hey, do you mind playing such and such and such and such? Yeah, I can play that. Cool. What about this? Sure, I can play that. Cool. What about this? Yeah, I can do that too. Great. Now you're set for the week, for the month, for the year. Oh, what are you doing? I've been playing my horn since X, Y, and Z. What about such? Yeah, I got this gig, but I got to fly from here, then do this. Like, yeah, but I wish I could play more. Well, we, you can do this music. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I think a lot of teachers set their students up for failure and stick in one conceptual ideology. Mm -hmm. It's no longer the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s. We have to evolve and modernize so that this next generation can continue what we do because it's going to change 10 years from now anyway. Right. Then another 10 years from now, look at the horns in the industry. Mm -hmm. Not everything is a small bore horn. Everything's a little bit larger now, right? So we have to be able to do that. And so for me, it's, it's, it's also, you know, rewarding to just do something a little bit different as a soloist, you know, I get to do a mixture of that, right, as contemporary classical, which has that, that, that contemporary sound. And one of my biggest mentors was Wynton Marsalis, is still Wynton Marsalis, right? Even though I only took a couple lessons with him, I knew who this man was one I could identify with because I look at him and he looks like somebody with my family, but also two, doing both classical and jazz at the highest level, mm -hmm. right? So again, you have to have your choice of like what you want. If you wanna do this, make sure, if you wanna do one thing, make sure you're doing like festivals, make sure you're doing auditions, make sure that you're playing in your local community orchestra or band or whatever, going out, giving recitals, networking yourself to get your name out there so you have the opportunity to keep playing and playing and playing versus what you do once a week or twice a week at a university campus in an mm -hmm. ensemble room. That's not real world experience. Right. I'm sorry, if somebody said that, that's a lie. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, for me, you know, I, obviously I think COVID over the past, what, two, three years have kind of expedited a lot of things in our industry. Um, it's, it's caused us to have the streamline things um, because I think people realize oh, perhaps this doesn't have as much value or maybe certain budgets got cut. Now there's less opportunities for more musicians to, to be out here and working. So like, I, I definitely agree with the idea of like students. And I talk about this a lot. And, you know, even within our department, music department, I'm, I'm always thinking, all right, how can we set our students up for what the world is now, not what it was 20, 40, 50 years ago, right? Um, and, you know, because, you know, the preface of this question is like, we are pushing students in one direction or this direction, and they're not getting a, a full service of a music educational experience. So like, I, you know, for me, like, one thing I always talk to my students is like, okay, what do you want to do? Okay, great. But you also need to develop these other skills because you're going to have to use these skills. Certain, especially like the music educator, um, the music education majors, right? And definitely the performance majors. Like to me, a performance major shouldn't be just playing 
orchestral excerpts for four plus years. It should be you're playing excerpts, you're playing the the jazz ensemble, you're you're taking some business classes, you're learning how to be an entrepreneur. Like it it needs to really kind of expand out of the the traditional Western canon, right? That we've come accustomed to through the the old like conservatory uh system, right? So I, I completely agree. And, and you know, it, it definitely needs to change because we have to work. And as you say, it's only going to get, it's only going to evolve more and more over the next, you know, decades to come. So what does that look like? And I think sometimes we have to, uh, I mean, we we don't know what will happen in the future, but we know it's not going to be what it was. So so I, I certainly agree with you on that. Um, I, another thing I noticed um, with you, uh, I guess this kind of plays in the idea of like um, being versatile is you're you're also like very active on, you know, social media. Um, I follow you on, on, on Instagram and Facebook. So I, <laughs> so I, I love watching your videos and they're, they're hilarious to me. Um, but what are you, what are some of like the benefits and or drawbacks you think for musicians who use social media to put their materials out there and um and I'll, I'll, I'll let you just kind of take it from there sure well i mean i really wasn't i don't know about y'all but even before covid i was not really on social media because i'm out in the streets <laughs> doing my thing right i ain't got time to look at other people right but I think what happened when everything stopped and we couldn't go out, our only lifeline, if you weren't living with someone, um, uh, was the interwebs, right? Mm. Your phone was your iPad and, you know, people making these dumbass TikTok videos, right? <laughs> and, and I hate TikTok. I don't like to use the word hate. I just hate TikTok, right? Because like, oh, look at me, I'm dancing. Because now we're looking for validation. Right. I'm doing through likes. So the more likes I have, that means I'm more validated, right? Which also is a is a disturbing social construct, right? But that's the only thing we had for almost a year and a half, right? So, but then we kind of stuck with that, right? So I think, you know, it's it's a it's a bad thing when it's bad quality, right? But I think it's a good thing if it's something good. So I'll just give my thing, for example. So on my my uh, Instagram, if I'm discussing something that is near and dear to me, or if someone sends me a message, because a lot of the things that I post, I get messages from. Some I don't even read because I'm like, I'm not going to talk about that. Another ones are genuine questions. Like, I, what do you mean? Like this one that I recently did. What do you mean? Like finding the resultant tone. Like, how do you lock in, right? And I'm like, well, we can use this with our basic pedagogy. And so the same thing that I teach my students, I showcase this via my videos, right? Of like how I'm locking in and realizing that with the drone, how to hear the open fifth and the tritone and the sixth and the major and third and what you're hearing, because that resultant tone, depending on the interval, is an octave uh, or a second inversion, you know, four chord. And the tonic is or the uh, a seventh, uh, like a seven, eight suspension, depending on how you hear it, right? You know, and I give these, these examples because it gives them like, hey, even though we're not here in the same room, we can see what's happening, right? Um, other things uh, I like to do with these, these, these social things, if I have a, a performance coming up and there is something very beautiful about playing, like when someone says, okay, what do you mean 
by like this double tonguing octave thing. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you do that? Like, what do you mean by that? So I will play an excerpt, you know, and explain that via that person, you know, via direct message, but I will post the excerpt. Then two, it kind of gives you, you know, an ability to say, hey, this is what I'm doing in my classes, or this is what I'm doing in my own studio. And at the same time, if I'm out performing, I also like to, you know, to, to showcase the people that I'm performing with, you know, when we were at Carnegie, you and I, you know, there's our pictures of us, like, you know, here's these two professors, um, you know, that are out doing their thing, and we're working together, right? Or, you know, it could be something completely different, but here is this person and this professor working together, or I might not even be tagging it, but there's like, hey, I saw a video that someone posted of you. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was doing the uh, Bach Country Monkeys 9 with X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because it shows you one that you're not just inside the room, right? You're being out and you're being active because we are also showcasing, not just the social media, but to answer your question uh, previously about how to find, again, like I said to my students, successful employment right mm -hmm. by networking and seeing that you're not just in the classroom but you're outside of the classroom doing the same thing and your job is basically this because i haven't worked since i was 14. right i feel very fortunate i i i have so much gratitude to the fact you know that i can sit here on a saturday in my office talking about trumpet and i'm getting paid for it right because it's the same thing that I do Monday morning, then Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday and Friday talking about trumpet, right? Because you've built a career path for yourself, right? You know, and utilizing what I learned in, you know, as a business marketing uh, major, marketing management major is learning how to manage yourself as an artist, you know, knowing how to create that networking opportunities. Right. So social media is the new thing now. Right. We can either be saturated with a lot of trash or some actual golden nuggets. Right. Of information and then utilize that and collaborate, because now you're collaborating with not only the person across the state from you, you could also be collaborating with somebody across the continent. Right. A small across a small pond, you know, and then networking in that aspect so that now since we're all traveling and traveling, you know, X, Y and Z, you know, oh, I saw this social media post that you did. I would love for you to come and work with my band this way, you know, versus where it used to be where you would that person would come to your school or you would come to their festival or vice versa and they would see you and then you would then create create that. But now they'd be like, hey, would you mind? You know, maybe would you be interested in maybe doing this with the symphony or X, Y, and Z? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because I are you are you that serious in person? Even more so. <laughs> you know, because now you, people can get you know inspired to do this. So I think social media to answer your question is a good thing, but also be conscientious of the quality of content that you are trying to get out. Because what's more important to you? the quantity of how many videos or the quality of what you're displaying in said video. Right. Right. So, yeah, so I think it's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how, depending on your intent. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. That's great. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been, I would say I've been a little more active on social media the past maybe year or two. Um, Cause one of the things I did, um, I think you saw this. I, I was preparing a concerto. So it's like, what if I post like the progress from like day one all the way up to the performance? And because I thought, you know, for someone who either 
a student or someone who's never gone through that process, I think I thought it would be a, a good way to kind of see what that journey is like, both for me, because it's like, all right, I got to really like prepare, I got to take time I gotta do this. And, and I got to be, you know, am I practicing what I preach, sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so for me, that I thought it would be good. And I thought it would also be good for other people to kind of see that journey along the way. Um, cause we are human. Cause I think sometimes, you know, even with social media, we see someone playing something and it's like, wow, this person's an incredible musician. Um, I will never be able to do that same thing, but they don't really see, you know, behind the scenes, like the process to get to that result. So I thought it was a way to kind of un unveil, you know, what's actually is going on the process to get to that, that finished result. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good thing too, right? Because it exposes you <clears throat> like effective practicing that becomes, you know, efficient versus effective practicing. Because mm -hmm. you can be effective, but the practicing product, the product is not as efficient, right? Yeah. So, but if you understand the efficiency of it, which makes it then effective, the end product, right? And if that is a, a pedagogical approach that you would want to discuss, sure, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's a good thing, right? And then also, you know, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, if, if something's captured, I don't think everything needs to be captured. I don't think right. so. I'm not saying that it needs to be right. <laughs> but sometimes let's just say that you're with the right people at the right instance on tour, everything's working and you like, you can talk about, man, this happened X, Y, and Z. And like, oh man, you had to be there. It's like, oh, we got video of it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Give me that. You mean you have a video of me busting out a triple C after playing a two-hour show? Hell yeah, I'm gonna post this because <laughs> not only is not only do you get that, but what you also see is the synergy on stage, mm -hmm. right? like that, like the excitement. Because the reason why I am sitting in this chair because I bought this chair, but two, <laughs> uh, because I was excited to hear the stories of my mentors. Right? Mm. You know, and my match, uh, Carl from, you know, uh, Shenandoah and then Moffitt from, you know, uh, Dr. Williams, excuse me, but I can call him up. He said I can. I still feel weird <laughs> Moffitt, though. Um, but uh, from Columbus State and then obviously Yens, right? Right. Uh, but it's like when they talk about the stories of like when they're traveling and, you know, they say this is why you don't put on, you know, lotion before you go under the lights, right? Or this is why you don't eat a certain thing before you play because X, Y, and Z, right? And I'm like, I want to experience that. I want to experience that that vibe and that energy. And I get to do that because when they do that and they bring it back to the studio for us, I'm on fire. Mm. I'm on fire. I love watching. And I'm sure you guys did this, you know, um, but watching your teachers in live performance, right? And it's like, that's my teacher. <laughs> that's my teacher. I need to figure out how to do that. And you feel so proud, right? And not all the time your students can go to your performances, right? You know, like I play here in Symphony of Americas and the students know they get, you know, it's like backstage access, right? Like, doc, I can just come in like, shut up. Just don't say nothing. Come to the back of the stage. I'm right here. <laughs> Walk in. But doc, shut up. Come to the stage. They see me like, you know, sitting here doing my thing with the symphony. Like we did Appalachian Spring, you know, we play this, you know, piece and there's only two trumpet parts, but there's this like this part on the third page between first trumpet, second, mm -hmm. and then the bones. 
and you're like you're right here and your students are like damn that was intense i know it's intense that's how intense you got to be so when i tell you to do this in rehearsal or in your lesson you need to have that intensity yeah when's the next rehearsal when's the next concert next month cool we're there so that's a beautiful thing right so i think that if we're able to showcase that for our students then they can be inspired to do this right have that energy and if they can't be there physically we can showcase a little bit of that that social media aspect of those small snippets of here's a side like the back the the vip access you know what i mean <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah oh, awesome thanks for that yeah. so you know we got i know you're a busy man so we gotta let you go but before we let you go um we kind of like to end episode asking our guests what are they listening to what's the new thing what's on your playlist right now it can be classical jazz commercial country whatever it is i'm just curious what's what what's the last thing you listened to the last thing i listened to was kimbaribara hmm. celia cruz for those of you who don't know who celia cruz is shame on you <laughs> those of you who do know who Celia Cruz is, de baja de corazón. You know, she is the queen of salsa. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, beautiful thing about, I mean, obviously, I'm in Florida, um, you know, and you get to roll the window down and have a nice cigar when you're driving on A1A and coming to these auditions. And on the radio, Kim Baribara came on. And that was mm-hmm. the thing that, that was, that was, on my radio uh, last and my, well, not my radio, but my, you know, my iTunes in my car. So I have my Latin mix. So that's what I'm really into right now. Well, not into, yeah. I've always been into that. But Kim Baribara, you know, Hector Lavoe, Willie Calon, you know, uh, you know, all those, those, those staples in salsa music, because I'm listening to one thing so much, you know, it helps me cleanse the palate so that mm-hmm. when I get back to it, if I'm playing it, then it's like, okay, now we're good. So now I can just sit back and enjoy. Mm. Yeah, I like the idea. So reverse question, what are you guys listening to? Uh, Tyler, you want to go first? I can go first, whichever. A lot of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because of my son. We'll just tell Alexa to, uh, to play it. But uh, there's actually, I didn't know that Jazz at Lincoln Center did like a collaboration with Sesame yeah. Street. It's pretty yeah. killer. Like it's... <laughs> It's got some good stuff, so we'll put that on. Listen to that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, besides that too, I've been, you know, I mean, to be honest, like recently, I've been just kind of diving into some podcasts. Uh, Rich Roll did a podcast with uh, Michael Wardian, who's an ultra runner up and actually in like the Arlington, D.C. area. So I was listening to that um, this past week, which is really good. Uh, but yeah, other than that. Um, you know, it's like, to be honest, it's a lot of that stuff right now, which is kind of cool because it's simple melodies that you learn, but you hear it in a different way. Um, and it's so cool to see my son who will hear the same song lyric wise, right? But different people and he still recognizes it. So even at 18 months, you see melody, how that attracts people. Um, and so, yeah, I'm learning a lot just having a young one around and seeing how music influences people um, and then taking that and just the things that we talked about today, right? Just 
being creative, being innovative. It's, it's like, you got to break that shell. Um, and just like when you're, your children, like, again, seeing my son, he's just all over the place doing so many things without judgment. Right. I mean, he's just exploring, trying to see what's new, what's happening, what works, what doesn't work. But there's not this judgment piece of like, no, that wasn't right. Uh, it's just like this liberty of like, go and try and see and, and touch these things and, and hear these things. You know, we're outside because it was a nice sunny day and it's like the wind hits you and it's like, what does that feel like? You know? Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. Nice. Wow. Man, my answer is going to be like lame. <laughs> uh, well, I recently, I, I finally got around to it. Um, listening to the new Snarky Puppy album, Empire Central. Um, and, you know, I've always been a big fan. I'm sure, I, well, I know you two are probably big fans of their work and what they do. Um, so I finally got around to listening to, at least to the full album. I like, for me, like when I listen to an album I have to listen to it completely through uninterrupted before I so I can like really digest it really yeah I, I don't like to do like one and then maybe come back to two like when I especially if it's someone like I'm a big fan of I was like I gotta hear the whole album the way it was intended and just go straight through you know so if I'm on a long drive somewhere or if I'm just at home and I don't have the tv on so all right let me just listen to this album I can be doing you know writing emails or something like that but like that's how i like to digest um new music so i gotta hear the whole thing uninterrupted and i like to do two full listenings through before i make like a true judge it may not be back to back but maybe like one day maybe a week later and then i was like all right i like that album or no no you know so that's why i've listened to this week um no grand uh lots of you to that just that's what i've been doing um yeah it's been kind of my uh peace of mind at least this week you know at the end of a work week <laughs> so uh but before we go uh dr jones i want to thank you so much for taking the time for allowing us to talk to you today and and see your coffee making experience uh again this is a first for us you know uh, but I knew it would you wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> and uh, shout out to the pinky ring that you have. I know you all about the pinky ring. <laughs> Listen, get in it. Get in it. <laughs> uh, so we want to thank you, and we really appreciate your time. Um, and for all the listeners out there, thank you for uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, we hope that you subscribe and share with a friend. And please give us our five-star rating on YouTube and uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, so we hope to see you guys next time. And uh, thank you all again. <laughs>